Another wonderful Shabbat service. Hallelujah. Oh, Father, we delight in your Shabbat. We delight in your ways. We thank you, Father, for assembling us together as your people who delight in your righteousness, that you are our king that reigns over us. You are our king of righteousness. We give you praise and glory in your son, Yahushua's name. Amen. Amen. Welcome, everybody online that's joining us. Everyone here, we thank you that you're here to celebrate Shabbat with us and to be here to rejoice and to learn and to lift each other up and encourage one another. We uh, have an opening adoration we declare. It comes 85% from the Psalms of David. So we love to exalt him like David did and magnify his name. So in this opening adoration, you'll see his name spelled out, Yod Vave. We want you to feel comfortable pronouncing that name however you feel convicted to say it. And the same would go for his son's name. So let's begin exalting and glorifying the king. Blessed be he who spoke and the world came into being. Blessed be he. Blessed is he who maintains creation. Blessed is he who speaks and does. Blessed is he who decrees and fulfills. Blessed is he who has mercy on the earth. Blessed is he who has mercy on creatures. Blessed is he who gives good reward to those who fear him. Blessed is he who lives forever and endures to eternity. Blessed is he who redeems and rescues. Blessed is his name. Blessed are you, Yahuwah God, King of the universe, the God, the merciful Father, who is praised by the mouth of his people, praised and glorified by the tongues of the devout ones and his servants. We shall laud you, Yahuwah God, with praises and songs. And now Psalm 100, a psalm for thanksgiving. Shout joyfully to Yahuwah all the earth. Serve Yahuwah with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that Yahuwah himself is God. It is he who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for Yahuwah is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. We say this in the name of our master and king, Yeshua. Amen and amen. Well, we're going to enter a time of praise and worship. But as we learn from Psalm 100, we should enter his gates with thanksgiving first. So let's come before the king and let's offer a time of thanksgiving, shall we? Father, we thank you so much, first and foremost, for allowing the internet to be connected, for Ward being able to get it done and just blessing him with the knowledge and blessing him with the ability to get that all done. We thank you, Father, for this assembly. We thank you for gathering us together, for hearing our prayers. We thank you for going forward and, and showing us and teaching us your righteousness because you are our righteous king. We thank you, Father, for uh, your healing, that when we ask for healing, you're there to give it to us, Father. The, the provisions, the jobs, the incomes that you give us, Father. You have been there watching over us, protecting us over these last six days, and your eyes are on your people. And we thank you that you are the shepherd that is the one watching over us. We praise you and glorify you for opening our eyes to the beautiful things in your word, to show us and to teach us, because you're preparing a people for yourself. So we thank you, Father, for the goodness and your mercy. We thank you for your loving kindness and faithfulness. These things we ask and say in Yahushua's name, amen and amen. We're going to begin a time of worship and praise. So as Zephaniah says, he is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exult over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. 
He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. So if you'll come over here, if you're going to worship and dance, uh, gather over here at home, clear out a spot. Let's get ready to worship the King and praise His holy name. Amen. Heals the sick and supports the fallen of Israel. Holy nation, the time has come. The restoration has begun. Holy nation, the time is now to enter his gates, to bend and bow and give him praise. Hallelujah. Give him praise. Hallelujah. Give him praise. Hallelujah. Give him praise, hallelujah. Gracious and merciful is Adonai of his mighty deeds, we will tell. Calling the kindnesses of the patriarchs, he brings a redeemer to Israel. O ye nations, the time has come, the restoration has begun. O ye nations, the time is now to enter his gates, to bend and bow and give him praise. Hallelujah, and give him praise. Hallelujah. Give him praise, hallelujah, and give him praise, hallelujah. So we open our mouths in holiness and purity. Songs and hymns to bless, praise, and glorify, revering the God of Abraham. All ye nations, the time has come, the restoration has begun. All ye nations, the time is now to enter his gates, to bend and bow, and give him praise, hallelujah, 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 
sackcloth and ashes And I stand before Confessing all of my iniquities And those of my fathers too Adonai, I bow before your grace When these tears on my face Oh, lift me up and carry me
heavens and rejoice so world Shout with gladness of mountains Sing oh heavens and rejoice so world Shout with gladness of you hills For the Father has comforted his people And has drawn his afflicted ones in love. His servant will raise the tribes of Jacob and restore the remnant of Israel. Every major Yeshua, a light to the nations, so his salvation could reach the ends of the earth. Love. His servant will raise the 
We so delight in worshiping you. We delight in exalting you and magnify you because you are the king of righteousness. Our people, the, the, your people rejected you as king. And Father, there was consequences because the earthly kings cannot compare. The earthly kings falter. They fail. They make mistakes. But the king above, he never fails. The king ab above always have his people at best interest. The king of righteousness is the one we choose. You're our king and our king forever. We will never lose our heart with you or turn our back to you. We will stay with you and, and hold and maintain a firm, fast covenant with you. Holy One of Israel, our Melchizedek, king of righteousness, we exalt you and magnify you. We praise you and thank you for being who you are and revealing to us you and your kingdom that we might walk therein. We give you praise and glory in your son Yahushua's name. Amen. So we are going to um, welcome everybody to this circle who has needs of, of prayer, whether they be finances, whether they be health, whether they be counsel, whatever it might be. If you make your way out here to the circle, we can do what James chapter 5 says. And it says, Anyone among him sick, he must call for the elders of the assembly. They are to pray over him, anointing with oil in the name of Yahuwah. The prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and Yahuwah will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another so you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. The men are going around and putting a tov on everyone's forehead. We get that, of course, from Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 4 and 6. <laughs> what do you think he's doing? Polly's saying we, those of you online, we had to turn the AC down a little cooler today. It's a little, he did it, yeah. Okay, so the big part about, let me know when they're done. The big part about James 5 is the repentance, cleansing the house. Uh, we want all of our hearts to be clean and pure. We don't want to come before the altar with unclean hands or unclean hearts. So 
let's come before the Almighty with a a, a heart of repentance. Father, we come to you. We admit that we've sinned, committed iniquity, we've transgressed before you. We walked our way and not your way, turned our back on the commandments, broke them. We went our own way. We walked contrary with you and you walked contrary with us. Father, you are righteous in all that you've done and we are full of just nothing but shame. But thanks be to your son. Thanks be to the Melchizedek who came for the Gentiles that brought them back into the family, that brought them back into covenant, that took his inheritance. We thank you, Father, that you are righteous and true and that you have made a way for us to restore relationship back into covenant. We thank you for the blood of the Lamb that you brought, that his life is now mingled with ours and that we can now have fellowship with you. We accept your offering of Messiah Yeshua. We thank you for all that you've done. We acknowledge the sins, iniquities, and transgressions of our forefathers. We ask that you would cleanse us of all of our impurities and all of our uncleanness by the blood of the Lamb. And we ask this in Yahushua's name. Amen. Heavenly Father, Yahuwah, great and mighty you are, Father. You are a king. You are Elohim. You are the ones who set us apart by means of your Torah. And you just asked us to walk in those ways. And if we walk in those ways, that you would bless us, you would heal us, you would keep us safe. Father, there's so many of us that have different problems in our lives, whether they're finances, whether it's healing, whether they're here or whether they're elsewhere. And Father, we just ask that you hear their cries and their pleas. And as they cry out to you, draw them nearer to you. We thank you for this opportunity to gather and to speak of your mighty deeds. And we give thanks in Yehoshua's name. Amen. We want to invite the children to come forward as the men get out the tallit. <laughs> Teresa, would you give them that? Yeah. All right, we have this song to sing, and it is Oseishal, or it is Inematov, and it goes like this: Inematov Uma. Father, we humbly bow our heads this day 
and give all praises and glory to you. Father, you are a king. You are a master, Father. We raise these kids up to you. Before I bless them, Father, I just want to acknowledge that these kids are a blessing to us. We have been put under our care. And we just pray, Father, we as parents, grandparents, the congregation, that we would train and, and teach these kids to love you and to love your word. Not only that, but they will build a relationship with you, Father. It's a, such a great responsibility we have, Father. We just ask thee to bless us as parents, grandparents, and congregation that we will be able to do that and succeed in that and, and just constantly pray for the ability and the discernment to carry out that great task that's been given to us. Father, we pray for these kids, and I bless these kids with the authority that they will be able to find their talents, that they will grow those talents, and they will use those talents, Father, that you have given them, that they will be able to use it in such a way to build up your kingdom. Father, we just bless that these kids, that they will be the guiding light, the light on that shining hill to all the people they come in contact in this world as they go to school, as they go to extended family members' homes, wherever it is they may go, Father, we just ask that there will be that light and people will see them and wonder why they are the way they are. They will ask questions and we just pray that they will have the ability to answer those questions. Father, we love you and we thank you. It's a true blessing that we have these, these children under our care and we just ask that we would do everything possible to raise them in your ways. Of course, Father, anything that may come against them, we rebuke. We ask the anything that has been put in their minds that it will be taken away, wiped away, no harm may come upon them or continue to, to be a burden on them, Father. We humbly ask these things in your holy son's name, Yahushua. Amen. Well, we want to, um, as they're folding up the tallit, kids are making their way back to their seats. You want to take that from her and put it back? I think it goes down on the floor down here. Um, we want to remind you we have a song to sing. The song is called Ose Shalom, and it means may he who makes peace in his heights make peace upon us and upon Israel. And it goes like this. Ose Shalom, Bim Roman.
the blessed opportunity to face Jerusalem and say the Shema together. That's not the one we want. Let's see. All right. Hold on a second. Sorry, I didn't realize. Whoop. I forgot I'm the one controlling. Yes. I'm not used to doing that because Ralphie is the one that does that. Okay, here we go. So you'll have to take our word so, for it. So I do have the Psalms and the Proverbs. So essentially, I'm going to say welcome, everyone. Welcome, everyone who is online. And uh, welcome to Living Messiah. If you see us online, please hit the subscribe button, say hello, and leave a comment. Uh, my computer won't connect to the internet and stuff like that, so that's another story. And let's see, what announcements do we have? Do we have any announcements, Polly or Mark? All right. So let's see, I had uh, Kamari on. Let's see if we can get you up here to read. Let me pull up the reading. Oh, okay. You want to do that now? Okay. Let's lift up Bud, uh, who is uh, going to be going into surgery on Monday. Uh, and so uh, let's pray for a speedy recovery. And then I'll also lift up a prayer for uh, the people in Israel and the Palestinians, that the people that are suffering. And so we want to lift up those. So let's come before the Almighty. Father, we come to you in your son Yahushua's name. We lift up our brother Bud and his wife Leoto. Father, we ask that you would your hand would be upon him, that all will go well during the surgery. Father, you would... Give him speedy recovery, that all will come out right, everything will be back to normal. And that, Father, you'd be with him and lift up Leota. Give them encouragement, strength in your name and your kingdom. We also lift up the nation of Israel and uh, those that are fighting. Father, we pray for those that are losing lives and families that are, that are having to deal with that, both in Israel and in uh, Gaza. We, Father, ask your hand be upon those, that you would strengthen those, comfort those that are suffering loss. We give you praise and glory in your son Yahushua's name. We give thanks. Amen and amen. I've asked Kamarian to read from the Psalms first. And after that, um, let's see, unless we have somebody else that wants to read. Yes, and if you can read from the Proverbs. 
Psalm 1, Psalm 1 through 6. Right? Yes. Blessed is the man who shall not walk in the counsel of the wrong, and shall not stand in the path of sinners, and shall not sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the Torah of Yahuwah, and he meditates in his Torah day and night. For he shall be as a tree planted by the rivers of water that yields fruit in its season, and whose leap does not wither, and whatever he does prospers. The wrong are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind blows away. Therefore, the wrong shall not rise in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For Yahuwah knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wrong comes to naught. Thank you. Thank you. Those scriptures come into play because today we're talking about the king of righteousness, the Melchizedek. So, very, very interesting. This is Proverbs 1 1, right? 1 1 through yeah. 8. Okay. The Proverbs of Shalomo, son of David, sovereign of Israel, for knowing wisdom and discipline, for understanding the words of understanding, for receiving the discipline of wisdom, righteousness, right ruling, and straightness, for giving insight to simple knowledge and discretion to the young. The wise one hears and increases learning, and the understanding one gets wise counsel. For understanding a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. My son, heed the discipline of your father and do not forsake the Torah of your mother. All right. Thank you both very much. I do want to say that the calendar will probably, uh, I know we I just did a proofread, so we hope to, hello, I hope to have a uh, calendars ready for you uh, sometime in the first couple of weeks of January. Maybe, I don't know if that's pushing it, but anyway, so hopefully that will happen. I know Ralphie's at breakneck speed trying to get it done, but uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he told me that he had it done, so... Probably it's just a matter of when it's going to be printed. So we're looking forward to that. Uh, we also, on Tuesday nights, Mike, is it this Tuesday that we're back on? So Tuesday night, this time, it won't be here at the fellowship, but it will be on Zoom. So if you want to join, uh, certainly reach out to Mark, and you'll get the uh, invite to join the Zoom. And we appreciate and thank Mike for the Tuesday nights. Uh, it's at 6 o'clock on Tuesdays. And, uh, and this week yes, and so he's going to be there this week, but next week, the following week, he won't be. So just keep that in mind. Also, uh, every Shabbat at 1.30, Ralphie's usually here. They had some other guy here this time around. I think, uh, I don't remember his name, but I think he will be here again next week. Ralphie's uh, down at the property, and he's down there for... But you know, that guy's wearing a vest like Ralphie does, so it's kind of this connection. To, yeah. yeah, 
doesn't have the rings though, you know. <laughs> yeah, no bling. Yeah, no there's bling. just a few subtle the long hair and yeah, the, the rings, long you know. Hair, the beard, you know yeah, they're missing yeah. a few things. Yeah. But that stuff doesn't <laughs> count. And let's see, what else? What do we have coming up? Uh, we wanted to thank uh, everyone down at Sholo. No, not Sholo, but yeah, are they still gathering at Sholo? Not Sholo. Down at a the Greenhouse Trolley Farm. Say hello to everyone at the Greenhouse Trolley Farm. Hello. Shabbat Shalom. And um, then next. It's this one. Ah, okay. And then uh, let's see. What else do we have? And we also want to thank you for your uh, support, your prayers, and your contributions. Now, the reason you don't see all those slides up there is because, again, technical difficulties this time around but we'll, you know and we thank everybody for your patience so mark if you would give father we thank you so much for those who give tithe and donate and contribute to your kingdom and to this ministry we thank you father for their hearts that are moved to bless and to give as you've asked them to do pour out an abundant blessing upon them we ask this father in your son Yushua's name amen and amen Heavenly Father, we give thanks. Uh, we know people contribute and give in so many ways. Some may not have the finances to give, but they give of their time and their other resources. We thank those down at the property in, in uh, Bisbee at the ranch for giving of their time and their resources, Father. And we ask that you continue to bless those who give with a cheerful heart. And we ask this in your son, Yehoshua's name. Amen. All right, so now's the time to turn to someone and say, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. And would you stand with me, please? At Sain. Do you have the At Sain slide? I do. Okay, good. There is none like you among the Elohim's master, and there is nothing like your works. Your kingdom is a kingdom spanning all eternities, and your dominion is throughout every generation. Yahweh reigns. Yahweh has reigned. Yahweh shall reign for all eternity. Yahweh will give might to his people. Yahweh will bless his people with peace. Father of compassion, do good with Zion according to your will. Rebuild the walls of Yerushalayim, for we trust in you alone. O King, Elohim, exalted and uplifted, master of worlds. When the ark would travel, Moshe would say, Arise, Yahweh, and let your enemies be scattered. Let those who hate you flee from you. For from Zion the Torah will come forth, and the word of Yahweh from Yerushalayim. Blessed is he who gave the Torah to his people Israel in his holiness. Amen and amen. Let us sing the Etz Haim together. Etz
tree of life to those who rest, and those who support it are blessed. Its ways are pleasant ways, and all of its paths are peace. Cause us to return to you, Yahweh, and we shall return. Renew our days as of old. We say this in the name of our Master and King, Hushua. Amen and amen. You may be seated. You know what? I hope I put the, the Torah slides on my thing, because usually I don't have to worry about it because it's on his. All right, so uh, I want to welcome everybody that is joining us online, everybody here, and I see that I didn't. So we are in uh, Numbers chapter 17 and 18. As you're going to have to turn to your text, because there's nothing up on the screen for you. You've gotten so used to and accustomed to just seeing what's up there. And now you're being stretched a little bit to open your scriptures. And uh, Mr. Alfonso is going to take it away and read to us from Numbers 17 and 18. Go ahead, Mr. Alfonso. Bimindabara, Numbers 17 and 18. And Yahweh spoke to Moshe, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and take from them a rod from each father's house, all the leaders according to their father's houses, twelve rods. Write each one's name on his rod, and write Aharon's name on the rod of Levi, for there is one rod for the head of each father's house. You shall then place them in the tent of appointment before the witness, where I meet with you. And it shall be that the rod of the man whom I choose buds, and I shall rid myself of the grumblings of the children of Israel, which they grumble against you. And Moshe spoke to the children of Israel, and all their leaders gave him a rod each, for each leader, according to their father's houses, twelve rods. And the rod of Eharon was among their rods. So Moshe placed the rods before Yahweh in the tent of witness, and it came to be on the next day that Moshe went into the tent of the witness and saw that the rod of Eharon of the house of Levi had budded and brought forth buds and blossomed and bore ripe almonds. And Moshe brought out all the rods from before Yahweh to all the children of Israel. And they looked, and each man took his rod. And Yahweh said to Moshe, Bring Eharon's rod back before the witness to be kept as a sign against the rebels, so that you put an end to their grumblings against me, lest they die. And Moshe did as Yahweh had commanded him, so he did. And the children of Israel spoke to Moshe, saying, See, we shall die. We shall perish. We shall all perish. Anyone who comes near the Mishkan of Yahweh dies. Shall we be consumed to die? And Yahweh said to Eharon, You and your sons in your father's house with you are to bear the wickedness against the Mikdash. And you and your sons with you are to bear the wickedness against your Kahuna. But bring with you your brothers of the tribe of Levi too, the tribe of your father to join you and serve you while you and your sons are with you before the tent of the witness. And they shall guard your charge and the duty of all the tent. But they do not come near the furnishings of the Kodesh place and the altar, lest they die, both they and you. And they shall be joined with you and guard the duty to the tent of appointment for all the service of the tent. But a stranger does not come near you. And you shall guard the duty of the Kodesh place and the duty of the altar, so that there be no more wrath on the children of Israel. And see, I myself have taken your brothers, the Levites, from the midst of the children of Israel, a gift to you, given by Yahweh to do the service of the tent of appointment. 
But you and your sons with you are to guard your kahuna for all matters at the altar and behind the veil, and you shall serve. I have given you the kahuna as a gift for service, but the stranger who comes near is put to death. And Yahweh spoke to Aharon, and see, I myself have also given you the charge of my contributions. All the Kodesh gifts of the children of Israel, I have given them to you for the anointing and to your sons as a law forever. This is yours of the most Kodesh gifts from the fire, all their offerings, all their grain offerings and all their sin offerings and all their guilt offerings, which they rendered to me are most Kodesh for you and your sons. Eat it in the most Kodesh place. Every male eats it. It is Kodesh to you. This also is yours. The contribution of their gift with all the wave offerings of the children of Israel, I have given them to you and your sons and your daughters with you as a law forever. Everyone who is clean in your house eats it. All the best of the oil and all the best of the new wine and the grain, their first fruits, which they give to Yahweh, I have given them to you. The first fruits of all that is in their land, which they bring to Yahweh, are yours. Everyone who is clean in your house eats it. All that is dedicated in Yisrael is yours. Everyone opening a womb of all flesh, which they bring to Yahweh, whether man or beast, is yours. But the firstborn of man you shall certainly ransom, and the firstborn of the unclean beast you ransom, and ransom their ransomed ones when one month old, according to your valuation, five shekels of silver, according to the shekel of the Kodesh place, which is 20 garas. But the firstborn of a cow or the firstborn of a sheep or the firstborn of a goat, you do not ransom. They are Kodesh. Sprinkle their blood on the altar and burn their fat as an offering made by fire for a sweet fragrance to Yahweh. And their flesh is yours as the wave breast and as the right thigh, it is yours. All the contributions of the Kodesh gifts, which the children of Israel present to Yahweh, I have given to you and your sons and your daughters with you as a law forever. It is a covenant of salt forever before Yahweh with you and your seed with you. And Yahweh said to Eharon, you are not to have an inheritance in their land, nor have any portion in their midst. I am your portion and your inheritance among the children of Israel. And see, I have given the children of Levi all the tithes in Israel as an inheritance in return for the servants which they are serving, the service of the tent of appointment. And let the children of Israel no more come near the tent of appointment lest they bear sin and die. Because the Levites shall do the service of the tent of appointment, so they themselves bear their wickedness, a law forever throughout your generations. That among the children of Israel they are to have no inheritance, but the tithes of the children of Israel, which they present as a contribution to Yahweh, I have given to the Levites as an inheritance. That is why I have said to them, among the children of Israel, they have no inheritance. And Yahweh spoke to Moshe saying, speak to the Levites and say to them, when you take from the children of Israel, the tithes, which I have given you from them as your inheritance, then you shall present a contribution of it to Yahweh a tenth of the tithes. And your contribution shall be reckoned to you as grain from the threshing floor and as filling from the wine press. Thus, 
you also present a contribution to Yahweh from all your tithes, which you receive from the children of Israel. And you shall give from it the contribution to Yahweh, to Echorom, the Kohen. From all your gifts, you present every contribution due to Yahweh, from all the best of them, the Kodesh part of them. And you shall say to them, when you have presented the best of it, then the rest shall be reckoned to the Levites as the yield of the threshing floor and as the yield of the winepress. And you shall eat it in any place, you and your households, for it is your reward for your service and attentive appointment. And bear no sin because of it. When you have presented the best of it, and do not profane the Kodesh gifts of the children of Israel, lest you die. Father, we thank you for your word that we get to hear and listen to. We thank you for the reading of your word. Open our eyes and our ears to the things you want to teach us. Guide us and direct us by your Ruach. May you be magnified and glorified as your people want to walk in your ways, want to hide your words in their innermost parts. We give you praise and glory, King of Israel. In Yahushua's name, amen. Okay, as I said, welcome. So what are we going to talk about today? So we're going to talk about um, pretty much the whole time uh, Melchizedek. And uh, Melchizedek was in our, by the way, those of you online, if you're new, we're on a triennial portion. We're, uh, as you can see, we're in, in numbers. And so that's why we're reading numbers and not what's normally being read around the country and around other parts. But in our prophet portion, our Torah portion, and our New Testament portion, you can see hints about Melchizedek in all three. And uh, so I, with my program, I typed in some things about Melchizedek. I was stunned at how much came up. And I just couldn't get out of it. And I just, I just kept just pulling more and putting it in and just, wow. And it just filled up fast uh, of material. And so we're going to do, a, this is more like a study. We're studying about Melchizedek together. So we're going to do some reading. We're going to read some things of the commentaries, things out of the, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, I had just purchased the Peshitta, which is an Aramaic translation of the New Testament. And it has an amazing rendition of one of the passages in um, the New Testament about this Melchizedek and what he has, who he has come for. And so we're going to look at some of this stuff. It really, really gives us, a, I think, hopefully it'll give us all a better picture of why, who, and all these things about Melchizedek and what does it mean to us today. And we're going to review what we talked about at the end, so I'll give get a chance to recap just so that if anyone gets lost, we can reel it back in, okay? If you have questions or comments, raise your hand. So in verse 2 uh, of chapter 17 in Numbers, it says, Speak to the sons of Israel. Get them a rod, and they're going to bring all these rods in. They're going to be deposited in the tent of testimony. And it says, the man that whom he'll choose, it's going to sprout. And this idea of sprout is this Hebrew word, parah. Many times the verb is used metaphorically to describe, for example, the flourishing of God's people, specifically Israel. And by the way, you all are sprouting. You've been sprouting both in numbers and in influence. It also refers more generally to the righteous. So verse 6, it says, Those who come, he causes to take root in Yaakov, 
Israel shall blossom and bud, and they shall fill the face of the world with fruit. Let the righteous flourish in his days with plenty of peace, till the moon is no more. The righteous one flourishes like a palm tree. He grows like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of Yahuwah flourish in the courts of our Elohim. These are all out of this idea of parah. These are all places where the word parah, and forgive me for not putting the exact address there. So my question is, how is it that the scepter or the rod of Messiah has flourished? We are planted in him. The word is the word, his house, and we flourish in the righteousness, the house, the place that comes from above, the, where righteousness reigns, that never falters or fails. We're planted in that, the city above. So we're going to talk about sprouting here in a minute because it comes up again uh, in regards to Melchizedek. Our New Testament portion is Hebrews chapter 5, and it says, For every priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in matters relating to Elohim to offer both gifts and offerings for sins. Being able to have a measure of feeling for those not knowing and being led astray since he himself is also surrounded by weakness. And on account of this he has to offer for sins as for the people, so he also for himself. And no one obtains this esteem for himself, but he who is called by Elohim, even as Aharon also was. So also the Messiah did not extol himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son, today I brought you forth. As he also says in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And so this idea of because he remains forever has an unchangeable priesthood. This word remains is the Hebrew word meno, and it means reside or live. And the verb also means to remain in the sense of enduring or continuing or lasting. And this is something that you can see that the earthly priest doesn't do. Does the, does, did Aaron remain forever? No. He died and another son had to come up in his place. Now the line of Aaron remained, but did it continue for? I mean, there were interruptions in the priesthood through history. But the one that's from above has no interruptions. The one that's above does remain forever. And the one that is above doesn't falter or fail. The one that above does not let unrighteousness take hold. The one from above does not side with men and, and unrighteousness. The one from above is always proclaiming, standing upon, teaching, and instilling righteousness in his people. So Hebrews 13.1 speaks of the enduring qualities of faith, hope, and love. The veil of unbelief is said to remain over the minds of unbelievers. Priest King Melchizedek is said to be a priest who remains forever in that position. And Hebrews 7.23, as is Messiah who fulfills that role, the Word of God is also said to remain forever. So the Word of God and Melchizedek are two things that are united if they do remain forever. They do not falter, fail. We can trust in it. It abides, and the goal is for it to abide in us forever. The king should be residing over us forever just as the word resides in us forever. There are a number of places where the meaning abide or remain expresses a significant theological nuance. 
When the word of God remains in the life of a believer, it has a significant sanctifying effect on that person's life. The phenomenon of abiding or remaining in Messiah indicates an intimate spiritual relationship with Messiah on the part of the believer. I'm going to skip down to the, this part about the same phenomenon is evident in John 15, 4, which describes the believer's intimate relationship with Messiah via the metaphor of branches and the vine. The love of Elohim is said to remain in the life of the believer, and John 8, 31 refers to the state of continuing to live by the word of God, the very thing that abides forever, like Melchizedek does. Hmm. Hebrews 7, 11. Now if perfection had been attained through the, the Levitical priesthood, for under it people received the Torah, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise, keep this word arise in your mind, after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? I want you to look at verse 12 in the Peshitta at the very bottom. Watch what this says. And again, Isaiah said, There will be a root of Jesse, and he that shall arise, as in resurrection, will be a prince for whom? The Gentile. I think I remember he said to Abraham that he would be the father of those folks. That he would be the father of the Gentiles. And this Melchizedek will be a prince for the Gentiles. And in this prince, the Gentiles will hope. Ooh-wee. That's a whole new interesting twist. Wow. Very interesting. Melchizedek is different. And the Gentiles hope in that order, that priest that prince. John 8.35 and 12.34 mention Messiah the Son who continues or lives forever. Then the priest King Melchizedek is said to be a priest who remains forever in that position as in Christ who fulfills that role. This Greek word is conveying the sense of giving up spiritual blessings or giving a spiritual blessing. Messiah is said to do this for his people. And also God provides spiritual blessing for his people. Such blessing is also provided by Melchizedek for Abram. Invoking a blessing on someone through prayer is in indicated with respect to one's enemies. Blessing through the covenant promises is also invoked. This other Greek word is a rare adjective found only in Hebrews 7, denoting Melchizedek as a man without descent or without record of mother or father, citing the account of the patriarch Abraham's mysteriously priestly royal visitor in Genesis 14. God declares to David, Lord, David's Lord that he will be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek in Psalm 110.4, a distinctly messianic prophetic context that is fulfilled in the person of Messiah Yahushua. What's interesting is, one of the things that, about not having father and mother is the earthly priest regarding his father and mother is defiled when his mother or father dies because he's obligated only to the father and mother to go and take them to bury them. But the one from above never gets defiled. 
never gets contaminated by death, ever. Very distinct. Daniel 7, 13 says, I kept looking in the night vision. Behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a, the Hebrew is bar enosh, coming, and he came up to the ancient days and was presented before him. The word enosh is a man or mankind, used like the Hebrew, uh, but also serves for the Hebrew, uh, I should have put the, the transliteration on that, ben, it's, it's this idea of, a bar, or son, and Adam. So the phrase son of man occurs in Daniel 7.13 corresponding to the Hebrew phrase and is usually or used frequently in Ezekiel to mean a person. In Daniel 7.13 it refers to a, get this, a heavenly person. Someone that is divine in nature. So this person that Daniel is seeing is a divine person of heavenly nature, but also resembling a man. Coming before the Ancient of Days in the judgment scene, it is this verse that Yeshua applied to himself in Matthew 26, thus fulfilling his often used self-designation, Son of Man, of highest significance. He's going around telling everybody, I am the Bar Enosh, the divine being, the son of man that Daniel saw. And this is what draw, drew from the Pharisees such contempt. They're like, you're what? You think you're that divine being that Daniel saw coming in the clouds? How dare you? And this is why Caiaphas says, you make yourself out to be God. It's through statements like this. Now, we're going to jump to the Dead Sea Scrolls. I found something absolutely stunning that the Dead Sea Scrolls declare, hi guys and ladies, about the Melchizedek and what the Melchizedek and who the Melchizedek is. So take a minute and soak this in. This is really stunning. So get ready to read from the Dead Sea Scrolls here. And concerning, this is uh, uh, 11Q13.2.1. Concerning what Scripture says, In this year of Jubilee, you shall return every one of you to your property. And what is also written, and this is a manner of the remission. Every creditor shall remit the claim that is held against a neighbor, not exacting it of a neighbor who is a member of the community, because God's remission has been proclaimed, citing Deuteronomy 15.2. The interpretation is that it applies to the last days and concerns to the captives, just as Isaiah said, to proclaim the jubilee to the captives, Isaiah 61.1, and whose teachers have been hidden and kept secret even from the inheritance of Melchizedek. For, and they are, these people are the inheritance of Melchizedek. These people that they're talking about that, I, that Yeshua says, I came to proclaim liberty, they're saying in the Dead Sea Scrolls that those people that Yeshua is referring to, he's the one releasing, are the inheritance of the Melchizedek. They are specifically the inheritance of him, and they are his possession. And they are the inheritance of Melchizedek, who will return them to what is rightfully theirs. 
not only does the Melchizedek come in a higher order to, to uh, nullify all contracts and all previous things beforehand, but he's the one that will restore us to the Torah and will restore us to the land that we've been promised to our father Abraham through that priest. And by the way, that priest is a combination of priest, prophet, and king. A restoration of all three offices in one individual who has all authority, all right. Everything belongs to him. Continuing, he, Melchizedek, will proclaim to them the Jubilee, thereby releasing them from the debt of all their sins. Remember I talked about how it's not the sin, it's the punishment from the debt of the sins. This word will thus come in the first week of the Jubilee period that follows nine Jubilees. Then the Day of Atonement shall follow at the end of the tenth Jubilee period, when he shall atone for all the sons of light and the people who are predestined to Melchizedek upon them. For this is the time decreed for the year of Melchizedek's favor, citing Isaiah 61 2. For, and for his host together with the holy ones of Elohim for a kingdom of judgment, just as it is written concerning him in the songs of David, a God-like being has taken his place in the council of God in the midst of the divine beings. He holds judgment. Whoa, that is some pretty heavy-duty prophetic words 300 years before Yeshua's coming about this Melchizedek coming, what he's coming to do. And as we as a community proclaim that we believe that we're those ones who this Melchizedek, Yehushua, restored us back to life and out of death and out of, out of uh, divorce and curse and death, He's the one that has now brought us back into covenant relationship, back into the, the Torah relationship where the righteousness now re reigns in us, and that we have hope. Now, let me tell you something. This is telling you, 300 years before Yeshua, that that Melchizedek that's coming for those people that's his inheritance, he's taking you to the land. He will make sure you get there. That's awesome that he understood that, or they understood that. God-like being. It's referring to the one Daniel saw. This should have lit people up in Yeshua's day, making a declaration, I'm that God-like being. I'm that divine one coming in the clouds. I'm the one who is your hope. All of, the, all of you who are dead and are gone or far out, I'm going to bring you in. Continuing in the Qumran scroll, Scripture also says about him, take your seat in the highest heaven. A divine being will judge the people. Concerning what Scripture says, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? The interpretation applies to Belial and the spirits predestined to him because all of them have rebelled, turning from God's precepts and so becoming utterly wicked. Therefore, Melchizedek will thoroughly prosecute the vengeance required by God's statutes. In that day, he will deliver them from the power of Belial and from the power of all the spirits predestined to him. This is why Yeshua didn't read that last part of Isaiah. It's still coming. He held back from reading that part about, I've come to bring vengeance. 
That's yet to come. Because that Melchizedek is going to bring that vengeance in this next visit. Allied with him will be the righteous divine beings. That is that which all the divine beings, this visitation is the day of salvation that he has decreed through Isaiah the prophet concerning all the captives. Inasmuch as scripture says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger who announces peace, who brings good news, who announces salvation, who says to Zion, your divine being reigns. That is awesome. Your divine being, the cloud rider, reigns. And you are his inheritance. Special is those that he has, has came for. As he says, I came only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, who are the Gentiles. The ethnos, the scripture says. Continuing in the Qumran, it says, This scripture interpretation is the mountains are the prophets. They who were sent to proclaim God's truth to prophesy to all of Israel. And the messenger is the anointed of the Spirit of whom David or Daniel spoke. After the 62 weeks, the anointed one shall be cut off. The messenger who brings good news, who announces salvation, is the one whom it is written to proclaim the year of Yahweh's favor and the day of vengeance of our Elohim, to comfort all who mourn. Isaiah 61.2 This scripture's interpretation is... He is to instruct them about all the periods of history for eternity and in the statutes of the truth, dominion that passes from Belial and returns to the sons of light, changing the dominion from Hasatan to the children of his inheritance. An order has been changed, and that's why Melchizedek is a different order because only Melchizedek can make that change. By the judgment of Elohim, just as written concerning him, who says to Zion, your divine being reigns. Isaiah 52, 7, Zion is the congregation of all the sons of righteousness. You need to get that. If you ever wonder who Zion is, Zion is the congregation of all the sons of righteousness from the city above. Everyone who is looking to that city, everyone who has that government and that uh, uh righteousness that reigns in their hearts and their lives and it sprouts and buds in them and is born out in their deeds they are the ones who uphold the covenant and turn from walking in the way of the people your divine being is Melchizedek who will deliver them from the power of Belial concerning what scripture says then you shall have the trumpet sounded loud in all the land when there's a change being made. Just like Revelation says, the trumpet's going to sound. Dead's going to rise. Hallelujah. Psalm 110.4 says, Yahweh has sworn and he does not relent. You are a priest. According to the, here's the Hebrew word order. It's Deborah. <laughs> Noun, the meaning of the term is found only five times, somewhat vague, but undefined sense of cause. A regard, however, in Psalm 110.4, it specifically refers to the priestly order of Melchizedek, the messianic forerunner of Messiah in relation to his ministry and priestly intercession. Oh yes, that priest, Melchizedek, is in heaven interceding for you today. 
So your prayers, when you're on your knees and your hands are spread out toward heaven, know that there's someone standing there who is of a different order, who is the divine being, who has come and taken you as his inheritance, and he stands and he intercedes for you in your prayer. That is amazing. Encouraging. Hebrews 7.1 says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abram, he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abram a portion of tenth of all of the spoils, was first of all, by the translation of his name, king of righteousness, or literally, my king is righteous. And then also king of Salem, which is king of peace. What did Melchizedek come to do? He came to bring peace. He, he, he came to bring an end to the enmity, which is the hostile death sentence that was against you, therefore establishing peace with the people. And so this word peace in Greek, it's a state of tranquility. Now get this, absence of conflict. Let me tell you something. If we truly are the ones that are of Melchizedek, then we should be absent of conflict. Why it bothers me when I see communities with such division and conflict within them. Because they're saying within their own deeds, we're really not of the order of the king of Melchizedek. We're, we're operating in the reigns and realm of a different king that's over us. It is given as a blessing from Elohim through the person of Messiah. It affirms that God calls his people to manifest such a peace. We're to be peacemakers because he is the king of peace. The way of peace is indicated in Luke 1, 79, Romans 3, 17, as a godly lifestyle. It's a consequence of devotion to Elohim and Messiah. Hmm. The title king of peace is noted in Hebrews 7 as a secondary translation of the name Melchizedek. You guys are being quiet. I want you to notice that in Hebrews 7, the king of Salem, this Melchizedek that Abram came to, brought him what? Bread and wine. Genesis 14, 18. He brings out bread and wine. Matthew 26, 26. While they were eating, Yeshua took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, and said, eat this, this is my body, drink this, this is my blood. He's offering bread and wine because this is what peace. This is what the Melchizedek of a different order. He's the only one that is able to offer that. This is Psalm one ten one through seven. This could come up again a little later. It will come about in that day. After that, Moses went up to the tent of testimony. Behold, the staff of Aaron in the house of Levi had. Perah sprouted and produced Zeke. Did you ever know that the Zeke you're wearing is means blossoming? Blossom. So whenever you are adorning the commandments of God upon you, and they remind you of the commandments, and you're doing those things. You're sprouting and blossoming like you, you've changed from the dead rod that was there that had no life. You were the dead exiled Gentiles that were cut off. And you have sprouted and you are bearing forth 
blossoms and ripe olives, indicating that there really is a Melchizedek who has delivered you and has taken you from the reign of Belial into the reign of Melchizedek. Testimony, witness time. I am the inheritance of Melchizedek. Why? Because I'm sprouted. I'm bearing forth almonds. I'm no longer dead. I'm alive in him. And my life is testimony. If I go off and create dissension and fights and all these things, I'm not bringing forth life. I think I am because I want to be right in my own doctrine, but I'm not causing division. And then Yahweh said to Aaron, you and your sons and your father's house with you shall take away the guilt of the sanctuary and you and your sons shall take away the guilt. Here's another thing that Melchizedek does. Just like Aaron, the high priest, he takes away the guilt. What did it say in the Dead Sea Scrolls? He takes away the guilt. Melchizedek takes away the guilt. The punishment. The Kohen tasks were quite varied and the literal evidence is sporadic. Thus, it must suffice to say that at some time in Hebrew history, the tradition records the priest is doing this or that. The priest was essentially the guardian of the holy place. Who's the guardian of the holy place? Melchizedek. He's the guardian. To do that, to do this, he took on the holiness of the sanctuary. This invested him with a kind of authority, but responsibility also. He had to bear the guilt for any lapse of proprietary in the uh, sanctuary. He was to bear the offense of the people, to atone and bear guilt, the punishment. That's what your king does, the king of righteousness. But this Melchizedek is a union of king and priest. He appoints the person addressed as a priest forever, the matter of Melchizedek, in the most solemn manner. The priesthood is to be united with the kingship of him who rules out of Zion. Why out of Zion? Because Zion is the people who've been restored. It's the inheritance of Melchizedek. We can't ever forget that. I know people have searched for a definition of who is, what's Zion and who is Zion. That's the inherited people of Melchizedek. That's who we are. This priesthood is to be united with the kingship in him who rules out of Zion, and that forever. It's not any special priesthood that is meant by here, but that which was bestowed directly with the kingship, consisting in the fact that the king of Israel, by reason of his office, commended his people in prayer to Elohim and blessed them in the name of Elohim, and also had the ordering of Yahuwah's sanctuary and service. Now, it is true, all Israel is a kingdom of priests, and the kingly vocation in Israel must therefore also be regarded. Now, I want to share this, because this, this enlightened me on something. I'm going to propose this to you. It says that you are, both in the Tanakh and the New Testament, that you are a kingdom of priests, right? But yet you have this kingdom of priests of Levi. But the kingdom of priests, I want to say and I want to submit to you, is not of the Levitical priesthood. I believe now that the kingdom of priests that you've been declared to be is the one of above of the righteousness of Melchizedek because you are the inheritance. It's those people that are the kingdom of priests. He's talking, 
in the New Testament, he's talking about those people who Messiah has brought in. But they are a kingdom of priests not in the order of Melchizedek or under the order of Aaron. They're a kingdom of priests under a different order. Because they are to walk in that righteousness. They are to live in that righteousness. They are to proclaim that righteousness which is from above. They are to be different than the previous generations. They are people that are going to be different. It's in their heart, as Ezekiel 37 says. There's something that's transformed them. They want to do it. They, they love every minute they have of the Word. They can't get enough of it, and they want to talk about it to everyone they can. A change has happened because an, a different order has happened. Just a moment, we'll just talk about Elion. Another qualifier epithet is that often attached to El to further define and clarify is Elion, which means most high, the highest, and appears 31 times in the Tanakh in reference to Elohim. Not only is there no one higher, but there's also no possibility of being higher. I'm not sure I even understand what that looks like. Ward was telling me how high the atmosphere is. It's like, and it was ridiculous. I was like, is it 700,000 feet? 800,000 feet? Close to a million feet. I mean, that's way up there. That's pretty high. And yet there is none higher than your king. That's crazy. The most notable use of this name in Genesis 14, 18-20, where the non-Israelite Melchizedek, a vivid Old Testament type of Messiah, was a king priest to Elion, the highest. He was the priest to the highest Elohim. No higher. There was no higher that he was a priest to, but he was a priest to that highest one. So important is this incident that it is again referred to in Hebrews. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High Elohim, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of kings and blessed him. Hmm. The king of peace. So this Melchizedek, which literally really means Malki, Melech means king, but when you say Malki, it's, it's possessive. It's, it's, it's my king. Of righteous, my king. Why? Because you're the inheritance. You have the right to call him your king because he has declared you're his inheritance. Therefore, it makes him your king. While some teachers think that Hebrews 7 3 implies that Melchizedek was some mystic, mystical character who had no parents, leading to the possibility he was actually pre incarnate Yeshua, the rendering of the ancient Syriac version of the New Testament early 2nd century makes it clear that he did have parents whose father and mother are not written in the genealogies. Some ancient Arabic writers claim that his father was Peleg, the descendant of Noah through Shem. But that, of course, cannot be verified by Scripture. As we will see, in fact, there is a reason his parentage is unnamed. Second, his priesthood. Here is the key to understanding Melchizedek. While the ancient world was pre-permeated by paganism, there were some who worshipped the true El Elyon, Most High God, which demonstrates that the knowledge Noah and his sons had of Elohim had not died out. 
While the priesthood of Aaron had a physical lineage and was hereditary, Melchizedek's was not hereditary, which is why his parentage is not specified. Very interesting. Here we see then Melchizedek's priesthood existing before the Levitical system was even revealed, thereby pointing to something deeper, something beyond that system, namely Master Yehushua himself. Third, his permanence, Aaron's priesthood, was interrupted at times. In the true sense, then, the priesthood of Messiah was not directly connected with Aaron's. For while the Levitical system was interrupted, the priesthood of Messiah, which Melchizedek foreshadowed, is everlasting, no interruption. Won't cease. He won't get defeated. No one's going to take him over. He's going to continue to reign forever, ever, ever, ever more. As has been said to infinity and beyond. Hand up over here. Thank you. I get to take a water break. <laughs> so what I'm understanding is um, that this priesthood um, is very ancient. And I just want to read something that um, you were talking about. It comes from the Most High. And this says, this or holy order came not by man, nor the will of man, neither by father nor mother, neither by beginning of days, not end of years, but of God. And um, with regards to Melchizedek, um, this is Abraham talking, and he says, Therewith I departed from Melchizedek, rejoicing in his blessing, for he was a man of faith who wrought righteousness, and when a child he feared God, and by his faith he stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, when those of the evil combination sought to destroy him from off the face of the earth. So that kind of goes in line with what you were saying. And I don't know if you're going to go into <laughs> Hebrews 12. Are you going to go into Hebrews 12? Go for it. <laughs> it says here, verse 22, But ye are come into Mount Zion and unto the city of the living Elohim, the heavenly El Yerushalayim, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general and called out assembly of the firstborn, <laughs> which are written in heaven. So, as I, as I studied this this week, it has just opened up a new understanding for me what really is going on here. And I agree that this, this city above, this government, this dominion, this way of life from above is going to take on a new form in the inheritance of Melchizedek. It's going to take on a new meaning. It's, going to, it's actually, for the first time, going to really sprout. It's going to really bud. There's going to really be almonds from these people. It's really going to be on their heart. And the stone of, the heart of stone is going to be removed. It's awesome. What great, awesome hope that is. Third, his permanence, Aaron's priesthood, I did mention that, interrupted. The key word of Hebrews is better, appearing 13 times, and Yeshua said, indeed, a better hope, testament, and covenant, promise, sacrifice, and yes, a far better priesthood. Let us rejoice that our great high Melchizedek and his eternal sacrifice means a lot. Now, you got to pay attention to this. We're going to turn to Zechariah 6. I'm going to read to you from the Targum. And it's going to give you another interesting clue. And again, the Targum, 300 B.C., taking scrolls, writing it in Aramaic, just like the Septuagint, 
taking the scrolls, writing it in Greek. The, the targums are very interesting. So here's what Zechariah 6.11 says. And take silver and gold. And by the way, this is all about, this is this man, Joshua, who is Yehoshua. And his dad is Yehoshedek, which is uh, Yahweh is righteous. Okay? So much pointing to Yeshua and the Father. This is just crazy. And how this Joshua, uh, this Yehoshua, is going to be, uh, become both priest and prophet. And we have this, actually, priest and king. He's going to have this, this new thing about him. And he's the one that's going to build the temple. Foreshadowing the one to come after it. Really, it's crazy. So get a hold of this. And take silver and gold and make a large crown and place it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. And you shall say to him, Thus has Yahweh Zevaot spoken, saying, Behold, the man, the man, Messiah is his name, will be revealed, and he shall be magnified and shall build the temple of Yahuwah. Oh, that's pretty crazy. Oh, that is awesome. What an insight. So Zechariah, okay, go ahead. I don't want you to read ahead. There's a famous painting called Behold the Man. Did you know that? Yeah. And what was it? Uh, Pilate or brought Yeshua out to the public to see, and he said, behold the man. Yeah. Now, Ward talks about one of the reasons for this being of flesh is, is the ability to nullify contracts made with flesh. But also, he's the divine being. Gives him right and rule and authority to do all these other things that he came to do at, at his death and resurrection that, that sets everything right a change, a new order. So it's really awesome. But it says here in Zechariah 6, 9-15, is an accompanying oracle to the eighth and last vision of the prophet Zechariah, the symbolic action message depicting the coronation of the high priest Joshua brings to closure the topic of leadership presented in the fourth and fifth visions. The instructions for the coronation of Joshua are announced in a staccato fashion with the vav plus suffix suffixing form of the verbs which carry the force of the imperative. Take, and I highlighted them above or underlined them, take, make, and place. The following messenger formula, thus says Yahuwah Zevaot, is best translated, so said Yahuwah. The qual suffixing form of the verb amar indicates past action. The expression suggests the divine assembly or council of gods in ancient Near Eastern thought. The messenger, the Hebrew prophet, stands as an observer. So Zechariah is standing as an observer in the divine session and then only reports what he sees in this divine council. He gets to be a witness. He gets to be an observer as the divine council is assembling. And God is speaking amongst all of the divine assembly. And he's... Can you imagine him being there at that moment and being able to see this? It's like, it must have been, whoa. The word for crown, atira, is one of three Hebrew words for a crown, or tira, along with nezer and keter. It describes a crown or wreath and is not restricted to royalty since it is worn by persons other than a king. 
the plural form of the Masoretic tricks crowns here is difficult, but is the preferred reading. The noun probably refers to a word like this, a double crown or a single crown, meaning two circles or bounds, bands of metal. Each band represented one of the two offices to which Joshua was appointed, that of king and high priest. But what's crazy is you know, we've been talking about these circles. We talk about Gilgal, this circle of stones, and all these circles. And here, this guy that's going to come in as, pro, as priest and king wears two circle bands representing the two offices. Circle, circle, circle. Do you know what one of the words for circle is in the Hebrew? Tor. As in Torah. It's a word that means circle. Actually, I think it means a remembering word. Is it braided circle? Circuit? Yeah. So think of the Maseroth, the where all of the constellations are, is a circle. It's a tor. And God placed the 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 word, as he said in Psalm 19, uh, you know. Uh, the heavens declare the glory up there is the Torah is written up there about the Redeemer coming this Melchizedek is going to come and restore everything back to order yes when you look at the rainbow it's really a circle <laughs> each band represented one of the two offices the unifying of the offices of high priest and king and Joshua. Now watch this. They're both coming together in Joshua as the branch. Who else is called the branch? At least for a time, may anticipate the ultimate joining of those offices in the person of Messiah Yahushua. Yes. I've been thinking about this ever since you showed the slide about the breaking of the bread and the wine, the sharing mm. of the bread and the wine. And I was trying to write them down, but you moved on too quickly. But we had talked about during Sukkot the significance of us not understanding covenants, and therefore we miss a great deal of what's being presented in Scripture because we had lacked the understanding of covenants. But everywhere we see bread and wine being shared, it's a symbol of either a covenant being established or a covenant being reestablished, people entering into a covenant or joining into a covenant that was made that obligates both parties to vow to always be there to protect each other. Amen. And the symbol of a band, a circle, that's why wedding rings are exchanged at a wedding marriage ceremony because it's a symbol of a covenant being made with two people. Sometimes the band was on the arm, and so this band is interesting that it follows that same line of That's covenant right. language you're, you're being established. That. In that book, it said that oftentimes they would wear a gold or a silver band on their arm rep as a representation of the covenant. The circle of the, of the ring was a symbol of the covenant. Hmm. Interesting. Note the noun crowned is omitted or grapped, but assumed as the direct object in the case clause, and set crowns on the head of Joshua. Neither of the two verses includes direct object markers. 
This terse style is almost a type of shorthand as the prophet seeks to capture and convey the urgency and significance of the message he has received from Yahuwah. The word branch is a messianic title. The clause reads literally, from under him, he or one will sprout up. In other words, one like Joshua here will sprout up. The compound preposition from under him serves to indicate the future setting of the dynastic hope. That is to say, after him, later on, another Davidi will arise and shoot up. The high priest Joshua is identified as the branch and the one who will rebuild the second temple. And he did. Very interesting. Shadowing, foreshadowing the one that's going to rise up after him to do the same thing. Joshua and the Levitical priesthood, at least for a time, will unify the offices of priest and king in a post-exilic Judah, a remarkable new development in the leadership of Israel. Although Zechariah's declaration should not surprise us, since a priest-king ruler after the manner of David and Melchizedek is anticipated in the Psalms. This is a good reminder that Elohim's ways, now listen to this, God's ways are unconventional at times. We need to recognize His divine prerogatives and not let our finely tuned exegetical methods and canned theology blind us to the new, to the unexpected, to the marvelous in our Elohim's unfolding plan of redemption. Because what we thought we knew today, God might enlighten us and show us something that we totally missed in a month, week, or ten years from now. And here's your Psalm 110 through 2 through 4, as he was citing above. So, what does understanding Melchizedek do for me? The king had to come to nullify the debt to take to himself a people of righteousness and peace, making them a kingdom of priests to Melchizedek, a different group of people that would be different, that would walk different, that would be a, a different testimony that all these other groups, there was major failure. So let us take a moment to review what we've learned. This is who our Melchizedek is. He's prophet, king, and priest. He remains forever like the Word does. He's of a different order. He is risen and becomes priest for the Gentiles. He provides spiritual blessings to those Gentiles. He's a son of man, a divine being, very different than anything else. The Gentiles are his inheritance. He returns them to their inheritance. He atones for them and takes away the guilt and the punishment, the death sentence, the curse. He holds judgment in the council above, and he judges and brings vengeance on the unrighteous below. He is anointed of the Spirit, and he intercedes for the Gentiles. He is the King of Peace, and he removes conflict from among the people that he has redeemed to himself. Those people should not be people of conflict. He offers the bread and wine, his body, 
invoking the covenant to him. He unifies the offices and the connection of Yehoshua, the branch in Zechariah 6, with Yehoshua, the branch that's spoken of through Scripture. This Melchizedek, your king. Would you stand with me? Father, I thank you so much for enlightening me this week, for opening my mind and my eyes to more about this Melchizedek, more about what he came to do, more about what it means to me, more about what it means to the people who were redeemed, why Yeshua said he came for those lost sheep, why he had to bring another sheep into the fold. We thank you, Father, that you show us the things that are secret, things hidden that have been not understood for a long, long time, that you are removing the scales, you're removing the veil, that we can see and understand, that we might grasp and behold what our king, Yahushua, the Melchizedek, king of peace, came to do for us. We thank you, Father. We glorify you. Continue to show us, continue to enlighten us, because we continue to look for the city above, the government from above, the righteousness from the king of peace, the king of righteousness. That's where we look to. That's where our hope is. That's where we want to reside. That's where we want to be. The government and the city that doesn't fail. We glorify and praise you for these things in your son Yahushua's name. Amen. Can we sing the Avinu, please? Avinu
Then Yahweh said to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel, and you shall say to them, May Yahweh bless you and keep you. May Yahweh make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May Yahweh lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. So they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel, and I then will bless them. Yevarechich Yahuwah ve'yishmerecha Ya'er Yahuwah p'nav elecha ve'chunecha Yisa Yahuwah ha-ha p'nav elecha ve'yasem lecha ha-ha-ha Shalom Amen. Now we can say the bracha and the hamotzi. Heavenly Father, you created the heavens and the earth in six days, and the seventh day you rested and refreshed yourself from all the work which you created to do. You hallowed the seventh day, calling it a delight, the most desirable day, a reminder of the act of creation. Blessed are you, Yahuwah, who sanctifies your Shabbat. Amen. Baruch atah Yahuwah, Eloheinu malak olam, Borei periha gafen. Amen. Blessed are you, Yahuwah, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth... The, who creates the fruit of the vine, Lachaim. All right, and now the bread. Barukata Yahuwah, Eloheinu Malakolam, Hamotzi Lachamen Haaretz, Amen. Blessed are you, Yahuwah, God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth and reminds the Yahushua is the word of God, and the bread of life, amen and amen. Now we get to say, Shabbat Shalom! Shabbat Shalom! share with you one second let me can find it before we depart in studying this week so uh, you all know that uh, what happened on October the 7th and I was thinking about uh, this covenant so if you look at a a 49 year cycle there's seven sets of seven right and each one of those sets of seven is called a week or a cycle and the middle of that would be the fourth cycle, right? And so what's interesting is, is I, I look back under the current understanding of what I believe is the cycle of the Jubilees, 1996 would have been the first year. What's interesting was the Oslo Accords were signed in 1993, but it didn't come into effect until Israel left Gaza and exited it in 1996, establishing the peace between the two. Fast forward to 2023, which is the middle of the week. When they came into the land of Israel, they broke the agreement that was signed and instituted and set into motion in 1996. Thus, you literally have a, even though today, and I'm not saying this is the, this is the one, 
for the numbers to work out that way is pretty stunning. But here we have in 96, Israel backs out at the beginning of the cycle, and in the middle of 2023, it's broken. Now, yes, rockets fired before in the past, but there was no one coming in declaring war on the land. This is the first time it's actually it's called it's declared war. So it's very interesting, something to think of. Thank you all for joining online. May you all have a blessed rest of your Shabbat. Shabbat Shalom.